Hello and welcome to The Roadmap, a podcast from Resume.io. I'm your host, Anna Muckerman, a professional career writer here at Resume.io. Each episode of The Roadmap will bring you interviews with career and hiring experts full of actionable advice to help you get your career or job search on the road to success. The hiring process has changed a lot over the years, but one thing that remains constant is the resume. Eye-tracking studies show that hiring managers spend an average of seven seconds looking at a resume, and that means your resume has to be rock solid to catch their attention and stand out from the crowd. At Resume.io, we're all about resources, tools, and templates to help you create the best resume possible. But sometimes a bit of expert advice can help you get started. And that's why for our very first episode, we'll be diving into the best practices for resume writing and the mistakes that make hiring managers move on to the next application. Our guest is Eve Dower Wong, founder of Careers by Eve. She's a professional resume writer and career coach and has spent 25 years as a higher education administrator. So she's seen a lot of resumes. Eve, welcome to The Roadmap. Anna, thank you so much for having me today. I'm so glad to be joining your show. Well, we are very happy to have you. Eve, tell me a little bit about how you became a career coach and a resume writer and what sort of drew you to this work. So as you said, I've spent over 25 years in higher education where I sat on numerous search committees I was hiring manager in many cases, and I've also gone through the search process myself. And it was from these experiences, I gained a tremendous amount of resume and interview knowledge. So it was really easy for me to help those around me. But it was during COVID that I started questioning what my real purpose was. And so what I decided to do was go through a coaching program between these coaching techniques and my enhanced job-seeking skills. That's why I started Careers by Eve. Amazing. So what type of work do you do uh, at Careers by Eve? What I do is I do offer a comprehensive package, as you said, from elevator pitches to resume, LinkedIn optimizations, but I do specialize in interview preparation. What I have found over time, though, is that when I'm working with a client, and they're struggling in their interviews, I can usually relate it back to the resume and how that resume was written. So resumes and interview preparation go hand in hand. That's actually quite interesting uh, that you found that the resume is the base that sets the tone for the rest of the hiring process. And you look at resumes for a living, so I'm really excited to tap into some of your expertise Resumes are the standard, the classic job search document, but I'm curious, have they evolved in recent years or is there anything that job seekers need to be paying attention to uh, when writing their resume that maybe they wouldn't have in the past? Absolutely. What, what I find is that if you've been in the working world for a while and you go to dust off that old resume, oftentimes what we did back in the day is we would just list everything we did in our jobs. And probably starting about five years ago, we saw a shift where instead of making that resume look like a job description, 
what we want to do is we want to highlight and showcase our accomplishments. We want to keep it concise, comprehensive, but yet short. As you said, that reader only has seven seconds to review that resume. So what I like to say to my clients is think of the resume as the trailer to the movie, which will be your interview. And in that resume, you want to put the most impactful things you can think of in a way that's going to be attractive so that the reader, HR, recruiter, whatever it might be, wants to actually move you on to the next level. So no longer list everything you've done, but just really showcase and highlight those accomplishments. And do you think that shift that happened a few years ago, as you said, is more a result of a lot of competition for the jobs that are out there? Or maybe is it the result of companies valuing and prioritizing different qualities in the candidates that they're hiring today? What would you say sort of brought about that shift? In this day and age, recruiters do not have time to go through all that minutia and all the details, right? They want to know what you are great at and how those accomplishments can help fill their needs. So that's what they're looking for. They're not really looking to understand that you stuffed envelopes or maybe you answered a phone. They don't need to know all of those little details. They want to know your extreme accomplishments. That's in terms of the content and the experience that you place on your resume. And what about things like LinkedIn or professional social media accounts? Might those also have a place on resumes uh, and maybe they wouldn't have in the past? Absolutely. So LinkedIn now, we're hearing from recruiters that 80% of the recruiters now will look at your LinkedIn first. So you want that to be very professional However, keep in mind, LinkedIn is going to be written in the first person and a little bit more casual. We still keep that resume very formal and written in the third person. But know that a recruiter is going to look at that LinkedIn and they are going to be looking at your social media accounts. Just had a situation recently where there was some negativity out there from somebody that I've been working with. And it was noticed, it was picked up. So please keep your comments, your responses very professional because you just don't know who's going to be looking at those things. That's, that's an important one to remember. I think when we're on social media, we tend to think of that as being separate from our jobs or you know, even LinkedIn is a place you can let your guard down and speak freely about an employer that you have currently. You, know, you see a lot of posts, long posts about people complaining about their job. And it's interesting to hear that even for one of, of the clients you've been working with that came back to hurt them during the interview process. Yes, exactly. She's not getting interviews because of it, I'm sure. But yes, keep it professional. Always try to find the positive. Yes, you may have lost your job. You might have been laid off. You might have had a terrible boss. But don't vet those grievances out on social media. Try to find the positive things that you've taken from your past jobs, your previous jobs, and actually talk about that. And it really does change your mindset and how you approach anything, whether it's writing your resume or whether it's writing your LinkedIn profile or even into the job interview. Nobody wants to hear negativity 
because they might make the assumption that you will then be negative if they should hire you. That's a really good point. I think maybe we will uh, do a whole episode about social media and hiring, but bringing it back to the resume, I think we should just dive right into the nitty gritty of it and start with the basics. What are the most important sections that your resume needs to have? And of them, where do you think you should spend the most time when writing? I am going to say that career summary or profile It's the reader's first impression of you. It's what they're going to see first. So you really need to spend some time on that. And what I don't like to see on a resume is when somebody has placed words in there that really don't have value. For example, oh, I'm a self-starter. I'm a highly motivated person. That's all well and good. We know that about your character. But what we want to know is specifically what have you done? So in other words, you might be an execution leader that has saved companies 33%, you know, in the past five years or something like that. We want to be very specific on what your skills and attributes are. The next section is going to be that competency section. You want to make sure you're putting in there, for example, skills and technology. Maybe you know a foreign language. Everything that that job description is seeking should be in that competency section. Again, what you're attempting to do in that first seven seconds is grab the attention of that recruiter, that reader, and then entice them to keep reading on. So that's why those two top sections are probably the most important and valuable. Get them to see a little bit more about you. You know, it's interesting to hear you say that about the summary because resume, I always spend a lot of time in our videos and in our blogs talking about the importance of the summary and also how, you know, in the past it was really common to have a resume objective, which is sort of a a short sentence that kind of vaguely describes the purpose of your resume. I see you shaking your head no. So maybe we can talk a little bit more about the summary since you also find that it's really important for job seekers nowadays. It is. So good point about the objective. Right now, companies don't want to know what your objective is. Your objective, obviously, is to apply for that job and get the job. What they want to know is more about you. So again, use very strong verbiage. You want to say that you're, for example, a very successful professional with 15 years experience in, we'll use higher education, where you were an execution leader that helped not only develop, but then implement strategic plans for the university resulting in. So you always want to put that resulting in. Talk about your outcomes. Talk about what it is that you've accomplished. Not that you just did it, but that what the results were. Oh, that's that's great. I'm gonna I'm gonna write that down. Resulting in. Make sure we add resulting into the summary. Those numbers and that that concrete information, I think, is really what's gonna grab the hiring manager's attention right from the start. Absolutely. So we've talked a little bit about the resume summary and the importance of that. So let's say that you've succeeded in the summary, you've got the hiring manager interested, and then where are their eyes gonna go next? What are they gonna look for? Well, hopefully after that summary, now they're going to go down to your competencies. And you want to make sure that you're, again, tailoring that competency section to what the job description is asking for. 
So oftentimes I see people not adjust their resumes. And it's okay to have a couple different resumes, but you don't want to just keep using the same resume that is not addressing what the company or organization is specifically looking for. Your objective with this resume and your interview is to take what your experience is, what the company's problems or challenges are, and find the intersection in how you are going to help them solve that. That makes you valuable. It gives you that unique value proposition that will help you stand out in this competitive market. So let's get to the employment history section, which usually makes up the bulk of the resume. More specifically, it's those employment history bullet points, which are really the lion's share of this section. So what sort of details or information should we be including in our bullet points? Again, you want to be comprehensive, but be concise. Again, our recruiters do not have time to be reading lengthy dissertations. So you want to keep it concise. But again, as you're discussing what your accomplishments are, even if you think it mentally, you don't necessarily write it out, but you want to say, my accomplishments resulted in, or the outcome was. And when you're providing those results or outcomes, you always want to make sure that you can either quantify or qualify. So let me give you an example. I increased sales by restructuring the team and going after different clients resulting in a 33% increase in profits for the organization, okay? So you're quantifying. That quantification gives the reader a true picture now of what you've done. It's not just some abstract thought. It's quantifiable. It conjures up, wow, this person's a go-getter, right? They know what they're doing. If you can't quantify, and sometimes we can't, let's say you're addressing a compliance issue, which resulted in a clean audit. How do you quantify that? You can't necessarily, but you can qualify it. You can say resulting in a clean audit, which would have resulted in a $33 million loss if it was not in compliance. You can qualify it by, again, trying to give a visual. If an organization had lost $33 million, that would have been a huge hit. So you're showing your value and your worth in that case for that particular data point. You know, this, I think, is a little bit easier to implement if you work in a field like education or accounting or medicine even. But what about all those people out there who are applying for roles in hospitality or transportation or in industries where you might not actually know what the impact, you know, you know that you've done a good job, but you're not sure what the impact of your work has been on the overall business, maybe because that's being handled uh, a few pay grades above you. So what can you put in these bullet points? then to really stand out? Well, if you can't quantify, and and understandably, sometimes it's that, that top office that's holding numbers, but you can articulate something, for example, if your hotel has been named outstanding hotel out of the chain, or if you as an employee have received an outstanding award, or maybe there were customer surveys 
showed that you or the hotel or whatever industry it might be were doing an outstanding job. Those are things to cite, even though you may not have some hardcore numbers. And how many bullet points would you say for most people? I would say probably don't go over five, but it depends on how they're written. In some cases, people only have two or three that have extensive years of experience, but it's the way they're written. They've written them in such a way that it's giving a very clear picture of what they're capable of doing. Again, try not to just keep listing everything without actually saying, why does it matter? That's another question you can ask yourself. I'm putting this data point down. Why does it matter? Let's talk about that. And is there something to be said for trying to show different responsibilities or skills under each of your previous jobs? I think that this gets really hard when you do work in an industry like hospitality or retail, where the bulk of your job might be repetitive tasks. It is. And you have to kind of parse that out a little bit. I myself have had situations where maybe I was an associate registrar and moved to the registrar's role and maybe just had an increase in responsibilities. But what you need to do is put down, you know, maybe some basics under that first role and then highlight and showcase those additional responsibility in the next role. It can be challenging, but just try to parse it out what's pretty basic and then move on to that more experienced role. The other thing that I'd like to go back and mention too is when you have roles or opportunities, increasing responsibilities, you want to limit your data points as you get further back into your history. So in other words, your current role might have five data points. For example, maybe your next role prior to that will have four, three, two, and maybe just a summary for the last one. What about somebody who has the opposite problem? They maybe have gaps in their employment history or they've taken a leave of absence. What can they do to create an appealing resume? We've seen this a lot recently with COVID where people had to step out of the workforce and take on some caregiving responsibilities. And in that case, what I would do is actually place a chronological entry under the experiences explaining that you were a caregiver and the dates and give a little summary. My father had COVID, was critically ill. It was necessary for me to step out of the workforce, take care of him, but now I'm ready to re-enter the workforce. If you're a student, let's say you've stepped out of the workforce to go back to school, I wouldn't hesitate to put a little entry in that chronological order, again, showing that you were working on your MBA or another degree, for example, because what you don't want is you don't want that reader to actually guess what you might've been doing or make assumptions. And you want it to be perfectly clear to them. They are too busy to try to connect the dots for you. Yes, your education might be at the end of your resume and it might show that you were in school, put it right up front so that they can see that and there's no question or doubt. 
That's really interesting because I feel like a number of years ago, you know, the standard advice was that we need to kind of hide those things or cover them up in some way. And I think that, you know, I'm wondering really if with COVID and with the rise of the gig economy, hiring managers are just more flexible and more understanding of the fact that we all have families. You know, some people have projects, plans to travel or to go back to school. And it's just totally changed the way that they perceive those gaps as long as you've explained them. Right. And I think that's exactly right. I think COVID really changed some of our mindset on this. Again, if you are out of the workforce, though, let's say you were laid off and you're in the job search. What do you put down for that gap, for example? I highly encourage people to volunteer and show your volunteer work in there as an experience because you are gaining knowledge, you're gaining valuable information. So show that you're doing something to improve yourself. Just don't leave that open gap. Take some LinkedIn courses. Take some things that will keep you active and on track so that the interviewer or the recruiter knows that you are still actively engaged. You're not sitting with your feet up on the desk, you know, eating bonbons. I love that advice, this idea that we can create valuable resume experience by making our own opportunities. So Eve, let's talk a little bit about the education section. Beyond sort of the standard education details like degree name, school dates attended, and location, what are some other valuable pieces of information that you can place in your education section? I would say that if you have a degree that doesn't explain what you've studied, So for example, if you have a master's in public administration, it's pretty obvious you studied public administration. But if you have a degree that, for example, is a bachelor of science degree, you may want to indicate your major, also your minors and concentrations if you have them. That way it helps the reviewer understand what you've studied and what you've done in the past. Other sections, if you are just completing your college education and you don't have too much of the work experience on your resume, you may want to indicate some of the coursework that would be relevant to the position that you're applying for. Having said that, though, as you get older, you want to make sure that that's not listed. And what about certifications or awards? Is that something that you prefer to add into the education section or do you think it should be separate section? I would make it a separate section, anything like awards, certifications. I even put volunteering in a separate section. But if you have those, I would definitely list them. If you've done any presentations, I would put it under some type of awards, certification presentations, that type of thing. But definitely list them. So I think we've covered all of the sections on a standard resume, but I wanted to talk about one more obstacle that the resume goes through before it makes it to the hiring manager, and that is these applicant tracking systems, which are algorithms that, to simplify it, they scan resumes looking for keywords, which are usually programmed in from the job description that was created by the employer. And as you know, there are studies that show Up to 75% of resumes can be filtered out before they even make it to the hiring manager, which for me is just crazy. And I know that that's really frustrating for job seekers. So as a professional career coach, resume writer, how do you approach the ATS? And do you have any tips for increasing your chances of making it past this obstacle? 
Yeah. Again, I know that going through the job search can be very tiring, can at times be very demoralizing, but you really do need to take the time with your resume to tailor it to that specific job description. You just quoted 75% of the people will be weeded out. If you're just sending resumes out and you're not tailoring them, you're probably wasting your time. You need to be able to get through that ATS. So you need to put those keywords from the job description and fit them into your experiences so that it's being picked up and that you'll get past that first level. So I would say quality over quantity when you're working on your resumes. That's a good point because I also saw a study uh, that was done that found that if you place too many keywords, if you stuff those keywords all around the resume, then uh, you'll make it through the ATS, you'll get to the hiring manager, and they will be pretty turned off by the fact that you've overdone it in order to try to get past the system. So uh, it, it's kind of a balance. Do you have any sort of guidance on how many keywords, or does that really depend uh, on the role and the job description? I think it depends on the person, their experiences. Of course, you don't want to stuff your resume with just those keywords that maybe don't make sense with what your experiences are. So everything in moderation. Just try to find a nice balance using keywords, making sure that they make sense with how you're writing, but do be mindful of it and do try to tailor your data points to that description. I'll give you an example of something that you could easily do. If the job description is referencing a customer, then don't use the word client or consumer. Use the words that they are using. Those are easily interchangeable so that you're using their terminology and that's probably how the ATS has been programmed and then you can get through that. The formatting, if I understand correctly, also plays a role in how the ATS is able to find those keywords. What can you tell us about what uh, we should be paying attention to in terms of formatting, especially when it comes to the ATS? Again, I think this is a change that has occurred over in the last five years. And that is at one time we had resumes that had that vertical formatting and we were putting colors on there. We were getting very fancy while they looked great to the human eye and they were very eye-catching. The problem is that can be difficult for an ATS system. Remember, that looked great to a human five years ago who had time to physically go through those resumes But now, since they don't have that kind of time, you could have hundreds of applicants for one position. It's going to go through that scanner. So this is where I've taken my clients back to the old-fashioned vanilla type of resume, trying to keep it simple, making sure that they're not italicizing, underlining, bolding their data points or the body of it. What I advise is you can increase the font on your name, for example, your header there. You can put some of that. I prefer a blue color. I think blue is a strong color to use. And you can bold some of that. You can also bold your headings maybe in that blue color and do a horizontal line to separate your sections. But keep it simple. 
Keep it very simple so that you can get through the tracking. The other thing that might be a time saver for folks, so often now, if for example, you're applying on LinkedIn, you will have the opportunity to upload your resume and have it scanned to fill in the application. If you have a resume that's kind of out there, if you will, a little off of a traditional format, you're going to spend more time filling in those blocks. You're going to be redoing your work. If you keep the resume simple, your chances of having that application filled in automatically are going to be greater with maybe just a few adjustments. We've come back to to less is more, really, which is funny because I remember at the height of that colorful Photoshop resume trend, I was in college and I remember a classmate came in with a bright orange resume and it said she was an expert guacamole maker. And I think uh, there was a moment where things kind of went to an extreme and now we've, we've dialed it down a little bit and said, hold on, look, it's the content of the resume and the skills that you bring to the company that are really what's important. Yes. And recruiters are saying they need to see, if you will, I don't know how to describe it other than just a clean resume. Keep it simple. Keep it so that it's easily read. Because when they are going through quite a few resumes, if they have one that is just jam-packed with every inch of white space covered, they've told us they're not looking at them. Keep it relatively simple. Make sure it's easily read. Because think of the recruiter when you're writing this that has looked at 200 resumes. It could be late at night and their eyes are tired. So make it easy for them and that will increase your chances. So you talked about using an accent color. Uh, You prefer blue at the top of your resume. Do you think that people that are in maybe more creative professions, a graphic designer or an actor might have a resume that's a little bit more uh, colorful or creative than, you know, someone who is maybe a numbers person or a logistician. What is your take on that? I would say know your audience. If you are applying for, let's say, MGM, their HR probably has an ATS scanner. So know that that's a large enough organization that you're probably going to have to just stay with the vanilla as much as you want your creative juices to come out. But if you're applying for a small role, for example, you know, the company's small, they're, they're probably not using ATS. You could probably take some liberties there. So know who you're submitting to. As far as colors, yes, it doesn't have to be blue, but Make sure it's a color that's going to show strength, confidence, a color such as like a light green, for example. I've seen that recently where it didn't really stand out on the page. Might indicate just somebody who's a little passive. And I think when you're hiring, you want somebody who's going to be very confident in their capabilities and reflect that in their writing. So what are some of the biggest mistakes you see when you're reviewing resumes? Again, we've already talked about just listing everything you've ever done. The other thing that I see too is writing your resume in first person using I statements instead of writing very formally. We want to save that casual writing, that first person for LinkedIn. And again, keeping that resume still in the third person. Use of acronyms is huge. Make sure that you are writing things out. And 
This holds true for people that have been in the workforce for a while. Maybe they're searching for a job. And that is make sure you change the tenses on your experiences because that's a giveaway that you've just brushed something off, but you haven't really reviewed it and updated it. It's not part of the body of the resume, but I'd like to point something else out if I could. Sure. If you are somebody that has an old type of email, maybe it's AOL, maybe it's Yahoo, that's another giveaway that you might be a little bit older. Or let's take the student that's just left college and is still using their college email. Yes, we all know it's difficult to monitor multiple emails, but try to set up like a Google email or something of that nature so that you're not showing your age one way or the other. And are there any misconceptions people have about resumes or maybe areas that job seekers pay a ton of attention to that really aren't that big of a deal for the employer? Yes. So you don't have to articulate everything you've done on the resume. Again, keep it as the trailer to the movie because when you get into the interview, then you can talk about more of the details in a better setting. The other thing that I see is I see so many people spending hours and hours and hours on the resume and people get that call to interview and they're like, oh, now I'm going to start to prepare. And at that point, it's too late. So spend good time on your resume, but make sure you're spending even more time and start now before you get the call. There's frequently asked questions that you can be working on now to get yourself prepared. Again, if you're talking about yourself in a positive way on the resume, you will talk about yourself in a positive way in the interview. Well, Eve, that is great advice. And that leads us perfectly to the end of our episode because next time we'll be all about interview preparation and answering the most commonly asked questions. Eve, this has been a very informative conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on this inaugural episode of The Roadmap. Well, thank you, Anna. I've really enjoyed our conversation today and thank you for having me. I just want to wish everybody out there that is looking for a job the best of luck and know that your job's out there. It just hasn't found you yet. That's all for this episode of The Roadmap brought to you by Resume.io, where you can find professionally designed templates and complete resume examples for over 300 job titles. Our easy-to-use builder takes care of the formatting so that you can download a beautiful resume in minutes. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please leave a review for The Roadmap in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And share the episode to help other job seekers find the show. Next time on The Roadmap, we'll take a deep dive into one of the biggest challenges of the application process, the interview. Until then, I'm Anna Muckerman. Thanks for listening.